Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Y'all, I I am going through it right now. I am not having the best of days. Well, actually, today was good. But as an overall like life experience, not experiencing my best life right now. You want to hear the good or the bad first? Let's start with the good. I just got home. It is Friday. It's 721 on the East Coast. I just got home from a panel for the National Urban League. They are in D.C. this weekend for their annual conference. It's their first in-person conference in about three years. So I was on a panel for them called This Is Me Season. And essentially, we were talking about, like, what does it mean to be in me season? So my answer was, me season is is a selfish time in your life. And sometimes I think being selfish gets a really bad rap. I am under the opinion that it's okay to be selfish sometimes, not all the time, but there are times in your life where you need to be selfish. Declaring yourself in me season, when I hear someone say that, what I hear is someone who has goals that they are trying to meet that they are in a season of focus, that they are in a season of trying to get from one level in their their life, their career, their relationship, whatever it is. They're trying to elevate their situation. They're trying to do better. And I said to be selfish and trying to achieve that is okay. And I compared it to being in college, finals week. You know you have a bunch of exams coming up back to back. So most people with good sense who would like to, you know, get good grades, buckle down in that two weeks or or maybe a week if you're a procrastinator, but you buckle down in that season so that you can study, so that you can cram, so that you can write all your papers and get them in before deadline. That's, That's what me season is. It's knowing that, you know, you have to buckle down to achieve your goals. If you want a high GPA, if you, if you just need to pass with a C, but you know that there's something that you need to do. And so you buckle down and get it done. It doesn't mean you have to ignore everything always, but maybe you say no to going out. Maybe you say no to date night. Maybe you say no to hanging out with the girls. Maybe you say no to drinking or, or smoking because you want to focus. And I think that's okay. It's the same thing a lot of people do when they're in med school or they're studying for the bar or they're taking the GMAT, SAT. Anytime you're trying to pass a test or or meet a deadline. If you're trying to prepare for a presentation at work, you got to buckle down and focus. So that's what, what me season is. So we talked about that when we talked about lessons for entrepreneurs. My advice was if you want to make really good money fast, fill the void. And I say that for anything that you think of and be like, I wish somebody would do. That's an opportunity. That's something that you wish it could be done. Nobody's doing it that you know of at least. So do it. You can fill a void that way. I also say if you want to be really fulfilled, find out what your passion is and do that. And people are like, well, how do I find out what my passion is? What is the thing that you would wake up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to do? What is the thing that you could do all day? Because as an entrepreneur, you're going to work some long hours. So it might as well be something that you like. But what is the thing that you can do all day and you kind of get just lost in space and time? Whatever that thing is, that's your passion. Figure out how to monetize it. Do multiple things. That's a big one that, that comes up all the time is people say like, I have a law degree and I've been practicing for 10 years and, you know, it just doesn't fulfill me and I want to do something else and I'm trying to figure out like what else I can do in my field. Why does it have to be in your field? Many of the most successful people that I know do multiple things that aren't necessarily related to one another. One of my friends is an IT specialist who also runs a farm and and not just like a farm, like, oh, I have a patch of garden in my backyard. No, like she has like, you know, acres of land that she tills and farms and there are animals on it. And she sells the food that she grows 
and the eggs that her chickens create. I'm just like, oh, you you really organic. She has a whole farm. I think about one of my really good friends, Sabrina. In the time that I've known Sabrina, and this is like over 20 years, Sabrina is a videographer. Sabrina created bracelets at one point. They were really cute bracelets too. They were like these wooden bracelets that she would hand paint. They were really gorgeous. She was a teacher. She was on Survivor. She didn't know how to swim when she got selected. And she was like, I might need to know how to swim to save my ass and earn a million dollars. So she learned how to swim in a week. Even all that. And still, I'm forgetting things that Sabrina has done. But you can do like many things. You're not tied to one thing. And I think a lot of my friends who are successful entrepreneurs do a lot of things. Some people do them all at the same time. Some of them switch careers every five or 10 years. Like they max out on something and they'd be like, you know, that was fun. It was a great run. But now I'm interested in doing something else. And they make good money doing it. That's an important part because I don't believe in being a broke entrepreneur. If you are working for self and you are broke, then it's time to go get a nine to five. I'm just saying. So yeah, it was a really good panel. It was a lot of fun. I've been on stages in the last couple of months moderating, but it's much different being a moderator, which is a very important job. But asking the questions, I think, is the easy part. Answering them and engaging with the audience is um, is a little harder, at least for me. There's an energy between the audience and the speakers on a stage, and I miss that. Previously, I used to get like nervous, and, and now I just like you know walk up and sit and we're good to go. Although I did walk up today and sit and then sat on the microphone, which luckily it didn't make any noise. And then I'm looking at everybody else on the stage and I'm just like, where's my microphone? Why didn't I get a microphone? Did they forget my microphone? And then realized I was sitting on mine and had to reach behind me and pick it up. So, you know, always something with me. (sighs) Now to the bad news. So Ghana is not happening as planned. That silence was for you to go into shock the way I went into shock. So it's happening. It's delayed, not denied. So the movers came to pick up my stuff on July 11th. So the original contract that the movers sent me said 18 days to get my stuff from LA to Maryland to store in my parents' basement. I was like, I can't work with you because I need my stuff there no later than July 25th. And the guy was like, let me talk to my dispatch people and see what I can figure out. Because I worked with this company when I moved out to L.A. They did a great job. No problems. So he comes back and says, we could drop it to 14 days and get your stuff to you by the 25th. No problem. Great. Wonderful. Signed the contract. Literally the day they got my stuff on the van. And then they sent me a text and was like, our delivery dates are from anything from 712 to 729. And I was like, no, no, no. No, 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 because 729 is four days later than the day that we agreed on. And so they were like, oh, it's 14 business days, not 14 days. And I was like, no, 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 no. Also, when I spoke to the guy originally, when he said it would take 14 days, he was like, honestly, it usually takes between 10 and 12. And sometimes it can take even five. It all depends on, you know, what needs to go from from west to east. Okay. My previous experience with them, it, it took five days to get my stuff from Maryland to LA. So I was like, we're good. So I get this text, email, text, same difference. Um, correspondence that says, you know, delivery date for 729. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And they were like, well, it's 14 business days and we'll try to get it out to you as fast as we can. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't need as fast as you can. I need by 725. As we discussed, he was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can. So I kept following up with them and I was like, hey, is my stuff on a truck? Is my stuff on a truck? Is my stuff on a truck? They're just like, no. And, you know, as as is our policy, we don't tell people 
when their stuff goes on the truck until it's actually on the truck. So a week passes and my stuff is not on the truck. I'm calling, I'm texting, I'm emailing. You have to get it here by 725. And the reason 725 is so important is because my plane ticket to Ghana is 727, was 727. I had to change it. So, so they hit me two days ago and I had a complete meltdown. Him was with me and had to talk me off a ledge. So they sent me this text and they were like, oh, your stuff is on a truck. It's, it's slated to get to our warehouse on 7.30. No, no, no. That's worse than what you told me before. How do we go from 7.29 at my house to 7.30 at a warehouse? And so she was like, yeah, like that's the best we can do because of gas and, and I don't know, all this other shipping shit. If you're going to take stuff a long distance, especially because of the price of gas, you have to have a completely full truck. So the trucks don't move until there's enough people with stuff that have to go east. Otherwise, they just sit there and wait for the truck to fill up. So I was like, no, 730 is too late. Like I need it by 725. And so she was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. We'll have it to our warehouse by 730 and we can guarantee it to you on August 4th. Nick, what? She said there's nothing she could do. She'll do her best to get it there earlier if they can. They sent me a text earlier today and they were like, oh, FYI, like your shipment is in Nevada. They sent that shit twice. They sent it at like 9 a.m. and then again at 4 a.m. And I was like, y'all still in Nevada? So I went ahead and changed my ticket. I tried to change it initially because I was like, all right, if they get the stuff here by 8-4, the last, the last possible date, I can get on a plane for 8-5. I went on a page for the airline and I tried to change my flight. I looked at 8.5, tried to change it from 7.27 to 8.5. Do you know that motherfuckers wanted 4,600 American USD dollars and dineros? I was like, the flight didn't cost that much. They wanted what I already paid plus that, plus that. I looked for August 6th. It was $3,900. I looked at August 7th. It was $2,700. I looked at August 9th. It was $1,500. I almost threw my damn laptop, which cost $1,500, the new one. (sighs) So I ended up pushing it till August 10th, at which point it was $52 less than what I actually paid. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So now I'm not going to Ghana until August 10th. I was supposed to leave on Wednesday. Now I'm leaving two weeks from Wednesday. I'm making the most of it though. I'm going to New York for a couple days. I was really kind of bummed that I wasn't going to be able to make it to New York before I left. And then I'm also going to Atlanta, God willing. I have to say God willing after everything that I plan now. Because remember, it was like, oh, I'm going to Ghana and I'm going to Ghana and I'm going to Ghana. Now I'm going to Ghana, God willing. Like, it's like the Muslims say, like if it is God's will. Inshallah, if it is Allah's will, all the plans I make, if it is God's will. I'm okay. It's, um, it's a mental mind fuck if you will of preparing myself to move to another country i'm excited about this this is something that i planned out this is something i willfully intentionally purposefully plan to do but it's still a lot i'm leaving not just my home but like my home country like i'm going somewhere all the way else like i'm going back across the atlantic i'm excited about it i'm ready for it i'm prepared for it the best way that i can be but i still have moments of like what the fuck are you doing you're gonna leave like everything that you know To go hang out with some people you just met and like build a new life in Africa? Yeah. It sounds like a good idea. I'll be back eventually. I got my, um, 
my visa the other day. I had a multi-entry visa. I thought they would just give it to me for like a year. I was hoping for a year. It could be anywhere from minimum six months to up to five years. And so I was just hoping that they gave me just minimum six months because I have an apartment for six months. And I've said all along that like Ghana will be my home base or my first base in Africa. I want to do Ghana and then I want to do a few months in South Africa. I want to do Senegal. I want to bounce around and see a bunch of other countries. And I was like, well, just, you know, see how it goes. But I need at least six months in Ghana. So I got my multi-entry visa back, which is really like the big determining factor. I was like, I'm pretty sure I can get six months. But if I can get like a year, that would be even more ideal. You know, they gave me five years. Five years. My god sister was at the house the other day and she was, you know, she travels a bunch. And so she was asking me, she's like, oh, how long did they give you the visa for? I wasn't prepared for the question. I didn't even think about like, you know, how my parents would react. And I was like, oh, for five years. And my mother was like, five years, five years. She did not like that at all. She's like, I thought you were going for like six months to a year. You've never said anything about five years. And I was like, I'm not going to be gone for five years. I don't think I am planning to buy a condo which they were on board with. So I was like, how are you on board with me buying a condo? Which to me would imply like I'm going to live there for a significant amount of time. And then when you hear five years, like freak out. And I was like, okay, all right. I mean, it's, it's, a, mother, it's a mother's reaction. I don't have a kid. I can't relate. I just, you know. I will make it to Ghana eventually. I will have as much fun in this United States as I can before I go. I am happy I will get to see him again. He came down earlier this week to hang out with me, which I thought would be the last time I would see him for who knows when. He said he's coming to Ghana, but that's like, you know, there's no ticket booked. And if he does, it'll still be months from now. I acted a whole hysterical mess. I'd be on here sometimes acting so unbothered. I have to stop myself from having a meltdown every time he leaves. Like I have to actively like just turn off my brain and not think about it. I walked him downstairs to his cab and I didn't cry because I didn't want to upset him. I walked back into the hotel and I went right up to the roof and was like, I need wine. (laughs) And the guy was like, what you need, sis? Red, white, red. Merlot? Yes. I had to sit outside on the balcony. We're staying at the Thompson at the Navy Yard. I had to sit outside on the balcony in the hot ass sun. It's hot as hell down here. The low is 95. I had to sit outside directly in the sun just so I could see the water to calm myself down. And the waitress came over. She's like, is everything all right? And I was like, can you just, can I have another wine? And I had to have two glasses of wine to like stop myself from like flipping out. It's bad. It's, I feel, ugh. I told you my mother after him came to LA, she was like, are you still going to Ghana? I was like, yes. And she was like, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know. And I was like, why would you ask me that? And she was like, because him was in LA. And I was like, what does that have to do anything? She was like, I don't know. I thought maybe y'all had a conversation. I said, we had many conversations. And she was like, oh, and you're still going to Ghana? Uh-huh. Yes, I am. Is he going to Ghana? No, he's not. Oh. I was like, but he's coming to Maryland. And she was like, duh. <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of Ghana, it was good news to report. Second, I, I know I said I wasn't doing a second Ghana trip, but the first Ghana trip sold out in four minutes and it was a wait list of 400 people and growing. And my business partner, Davida, called me and was like, girl, We need to do a second trip. And I was like, no, I'm not doing a second trip because while I'm in Ghana, I'm going to be doing this and this and this, and I don't have time. I'm going to bounce around. And Davida knows me really well. She said, okay. And then I called Davida back like three days later and was like, hey, so I want to talk to you possibly about dates that there could be a second trip because I really think like people keep emailing me and I really think that, you know, a lot of people want to go. So we should just, you know, we should just do a second trip. And she was like, I know. So what we're going to do is December 5th to December 12th. She knows me so well. 
but we only opened this trip up to the wait list. Because folks had logged on at noon before, and it was like some Hunger Games-ish. So many people sent me messages saying that they were in the process of buying a trip. They were putting in their information, and by the time they pushed send, it came up and sold out. And they were like, D, I really want to go on this trip. Like People wrote me all sorts of letters. Like, I'm going through a divorce, or I hate my job, and I need a break, or this man and these kids. Like, I love these people, but I need to get away from them. I was like, oh, okay. Like, folks really want to go to Ghana. So I was like, we should do a second trip. Davida was like, I knew you were going to do this shit. And I was like, is this my MO? Like, do I do this all the time? And she's like, you get overwhelmed by things and you need like days to process and then you come around. She's like, I know not to react to anything you do right after a big thing happens. And I was like, you really do know me. And she was like, yeah. She was like, it's been over 10 years. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay. So we did a second trip. We only advertised it to the wait list. That sold out in four minutes too. I did much better with my reactions this time. Like I didn't freak out. I didn't have like a whole moment. I was in the truck on the way to the Urban League. So like I couldn't flip out the way I wanted to because my dad was sitting next to me. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. So after I got off the panel, we were in the truck on the way home and I texted Davida and I was like, so when I'm in Atlanta next week, I think we should sit down with our laptops and our calendars open and figure out plans for 2023 and 2024 to do these Ghana trips on a regular basis. A lot of people, hundreds of people want to go to Ghana. They want to go with us to Ghana and we should figure out a way to get them there. Davida was like, yes. She was like, literally, I picked up my phone to text you the same thing. We are aligned. So yeah, I guess I'm doing regular trips to Ghana now. Who knew? That wasn't on my bingo card, but, but here we are. There's much to talk about this week. We're not going to do Kevin Gates. I'm not in a mood for Kevin Gates. I'm really, really sour right now. I know a bunch of people went and watched and listened to the Kevin Gates interview. I told y'all that it was ratchet and it was profane and then like half of it made sense and then the other half was like, nigga, what? Over and over. And some of y'all were like, what am I listening to? Like, I couldn't stop listening, but what am I listening to? This one woman wrote me really angry and she's like, I want my hour back. I cannot believe you suggested that to me. And I was like, you didn't find it like riveting and horrifying and disgusting and titillating? It was so many things. I was like, you don't really, you don't usually get that many things all at once. You were like a four seasons, no, four seasons is is giving him way too much credit. You were like a days in buffet, but not on like a holiday, not like Mother's Day, but like on Father's Day. And I'm only saving it because I'm not going to do it justice if I talk about it now and I want to do it justice. I want to go through it like point by point and be like, how many best friends do you have, sir? And are we going to address your many traumas? Because there were many. At least six jumped out to me. And I was like, sir, like you, you need help. He was saying some shit like it was okay. And he was like, Carisha asked him, like, where did you learn all this about, you know, sex and freakiness and all this from? And he was like, oh, he says, he says something like, yeah, when I was 16, I was dating a woman who was like 36. Sir, you were molested. You might not feel like you were molested, but you were molested. If we were talking about a 16-year-old girl and a 36-year-old man, nobody would question whether it was molestation. But we expect men to be hypersexual and interested in sex. We often, not all of us, because I was like, bruh, that's not okay. But we often overlook grown-ass women who are predators preying on teenage boys. There is no reason anybody in their 30s should be dealing with anybody, teen, anything. Even 18, 19, like technically legal, but the age gap, the, the life experience gap makes it predatory. But he also did say he'd been molested when he was like 13 I think he said when he was a child 13 to me is a child there was a whole bunch of other stuff he's been locked up a few times and just there was much so I want to talk about that we could do a deep dive into it 
Also, I would like to speak about it with a therapist because I think a lot of things that he talked about are issues that come up a lot in our community. They're very fucked up, but they're so prevalent that we don't even talk about how fucked up they are. Maybe because we don't realize it because it's so prevalent. I want to talk about the rampant misogyny. I was like, how dare you as a man sit up here and talk about like tampons are bad for you. And you know, you need to learn how to like wash your vagina and behind your ears. And I was like, really? You feel comfortable telling women how to bathe? Really? Let a woman try to tell a man anything about like washing his balls and pulling back his foreskin. Oh my God. Can you imagine the outrage? Like, sir, it smells like cottage cheese here. Men would be outraged. Like that's my natural smell, sir. But yeah, so I want to unpack all of that. I can't unpack it today. I'm just not in the correct mindset. I do want to talk about a couple things that, um, that came up this week. One of them is Monique is doing a Netflix special. Yes, Monique, who at one point asked us to boycott Netflix and Monique, who had a lawsuit against Netflix. That lawsuit went on for years. I remember we spoke about it at the time. The news of the lawsuit ending came about and the amount wasn't disclosed. And I just remember saying that I hope that it was, I hope that whatever Monique got, just for all the time and intensity and the way she compromised her reputation um i hope that whatever netflix paid her was what she initially wanted from them anyway because i think they initially offered her five hundred thousand, and she was like no amy schumer got 13 mil 16 mil chris rock and dave Chappelle are getting somewhere around 20 25 mil and you offered me five hundred thousand. so i was like i hope that whatever she wanted to be paid plus whatever money she paid her lawyers plus whatever emotional distress that she endured going back and forth with the lawsuit. Cause anytime you're involved in a case, like it's just, it's emotionally fraught. Like everything that you um, have worked for is in the balance. And so it's just very upsetting. I hope whatever she got from Netflix covered the cost of, of what she wanted and the emotional labor involved for this long standing or this long ongoing lawsuit. I have no idea what Netflix is paying her to do this special. I combed through a bunch of articles and didn't see it. I just saw she's doing a special and she's absolutely thrilled about it. And Netflix is putting out statements. They sound absolutely overjoyed. Like none of the bullshit that they've been back and forth with for the last, like what, three years ever happened. I I wish her the best. I am, I'm not the biggest fan of Monique. I rode with her up until this last incident with D.L. Hughley. When she talked about D.L. Hughley's daughter being molested, And then one of the other daughters came on her page and was like, basically, stop this shit. Do you understand that you're bringing up my family's trauma essentially over either a concert lineup or a contract dispute? Is it that serious? And then Monique's response was to basically ignore everything the girl said and be like, okay, tell your father I'll come on his show. And then she apologized in quotes, quote unquote, apologized and was like, hey, if I did offend you or if you felt away. And I'm like, you know, she felt away because she came in your comments and said she felt away. She came in your comments and basically said like, she wanted to see you outside. So you knew the girl was mad. You knew her mama was mad. You knew her sister was mad. Like you, you, you did too much. You're trying to complain about the way black women are treated in the industry or in the culture. And you're bringing up literally somebody's sexual assault in order to take a jab at her dad. It, It was a line crossed and I didn't like the way she apologized for it. I wish Monique the best. I don't wish her special to bomb. I'm probably not tuning in opening day. If people watch and I hear good reviews about it, I would happily watch and I would happily laugh. I really hope that she doesn't take this opportunity to take jabs at a bunch of people. Make funny jokes, sis. 
Like, I don't need you to recap your issues with Oprah or, or Lee Daniels, who you're now friends with, and who also is directing the special. She ain't fuck with Lee Daniels for all this time either. She made up with Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels was like, I was wrong. I was wrong. And now they're friends again, to the point that he's directing her Netflix special. Like, okay. Folks can find a way to get along when it's a lot of money on the line. I hope it's funny. I want it to be funny. I want her to win. What I don't want is for her to have gone at Netflix's throat with a lawsuit and, and calling for a boycott. And I think that was the beginning of people starting to feel a way about Monique. But I, what I don't want is for her to have gone through all that and been like, you know, they should pay me more because I'm worth more and they pay other people more. And then to put up a special that don't do no numbers. That's, that's not going to hurt me because I ain't got shit to do with it. That's going to hurt her heart real bad. I hope that she succeeds. I hope that she wins. I'm not really the biggest personal fan of hers right now. But if she makes some funny jokes, I'll laugh. And if she wins, I'll be happy for her. And if she doesn't, I'm probably going to say some slick shit. I wish her the best. Genuinely, truly, no malice, no sarcasm. I wish her the best. What else do I want to talk about? Kim Burrell. I couldn't make it through that whole speech. She got up in somebody's pulpit. I know she saw cameras rolling. And started talking about the, the circles of friends that you keep. And she said something about, like, you know, you need to evaluate people. And she started talking about people's finances. And she was like, I need to know, like, you know, what your credit is, if you pay your bills, how long you've been broke. Like, really nasty, unchristian type shit. It's almost like cartoonishly snobbish. Like something that you would expect to hear in, like, a bad movie script about bougie black people in, like, Jack and Jill or something. And just as someone, I was not in Jack and Jill. I have a bunch of friends who were. No one ever said shit like that. Just sit around and like drag poor people for being poor and associate low character with lack of income. And I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like anybody who said something like that, I would be like, in trying to drag essentially poor people, you equating character with wealth or lack thereof says more about you than it does about the people that you're talking to. It also makes me wonder, like, what are you trying to prove? People who have to tear other people down, especially about their finances, but people who have to tear other people down about things like that. It's like, is that all you have to offer is money? Like you're devoid of everything else. Like, why do you need to tear somebody else down to feel big? I would say that in general, but it's especially heinous for someone who has positioned themselves as a Christian. She's a singer. She's part of the overall gospel ministry. She's a good singer. She can sing her ass off, right? But it's like, how do you as a Christian, I'm just going to assume that you are, if you are a public Christian, you have some, even if you have not read the Bible in total, which is very interesting to me because people be like, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Like, have you read like the, the, the guiding book, you know, that your Christianity is based on? Most people haven't. It's a long book. I have not read it. I also don't go around like screaming, I'm a Christian every five seconds. That's not the point. The point is in the Bible, right? On repeated occasions, it, it talks about helping the poor. Literally, like the God you serve, the Christ that when you, you know, you take communion, you're doing the body of Christ and you insert the cracker into your mouth and pretend it's Jesus. Your Christ hung around with like the poor, the degenerate, like the, 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 the low lives, the beggars. People ain't had no money. If you have any passing knowledge of Christianity, like, you know, Christ hung out with the poor folks. How do you as a Christian not just say some shit like offhand, maybe you drank too much at a party and just, you know, started saying wild shit. Maybe the liquor got to you. That happens sometimes. You can blame it on the alcohol. But you got up in a pulpit 
in a church. They started dragging poor people as an alleged Christian woman. And you thought that shit was acceptable. And they made a bullshit out of apology. If I offended anyone, you know you offended people. You know that shit was wrong. I hope you know that shit was wrong. You got dragged on the internet. You got dragged bad. Not only did she do an apology, if I might have offended, she went on with like, let me read this to you. Because if I told you, because if you're not familiar with it, you'd be like, Demetria, it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Oh, let me read you the first part too, because I'm pulling it up on people. This is the part that pissed people off. Kim said, uh, she said, quote, sometimes before we get friends, we have to do an interview. That's fine. That's fine. She said, how long you been broke? How many times have you changed your name on the light bill? How many of your bills are in your little cousin's name? Do you live in a trailer home or a house? She said, you understand. It's not about status or material things. It's just about choices. No, it's about an uppity mofo trying to shame broke people. This is like some shit that like the bougie black villain in a Tyler Perry movie would say. Definitely not somebody who holds themselves up to be Christian. But this is what she said in her apology. She said, as a kingdom citizen, and there were two apologies, by the way, because the first one didn't go over well. She says, quote, as a kingdom citizen and a woman of integrity, I acknowledge that some of my words, even said in jest, can be offensive. My intention is never to hurt anyone, but to spread love, laughter, and more importantly, the gift which God has given me in song. I apologize. If anyone was offended, I can sincerely say I apologize. Now, she could have stopped there. She probably wouldn't have had to do a second apology. She continued. She said, with that being said, the irony in this is that those who are criticizing my statement are displaying the very thing that they have accused me of. However, it's not been humorous or in jest. My image has been used in multiple places and false statements and narratives have been created. The punitive damages for some are quite lofty. Please be mindful of what is both written and said via video about me, especially if it contains untruths. Slander and defamation are not taken lightly, especially if it affects my name, image, or brand. Those pages wherein vile comments and false narratives have been created have been noted, reported, and hopefully silenced. Again, I will apologize if anyone thought that my humor was malicious, but I will not under any circumstance tolerate harassment, slander, or for my character to be defamed. Best to all. Ma'am. Ma'am. This is not how you apologize to people. I know I did some fucked up shit. If you were offended by my fucked up shit, my bad. But also, I saw the horrible things that y'all said about me in response to the fucked up thing that I did. And even though it was a reaction to the fucked up shit that happened, I didn't very much appreciate it and y'all need to stop that shit. Girl, bye. If doing the most was a whole person. So she got dragged for that too, rightfully so. And then she posted a second apology, this one via video. And she said her first apology was written by an attorney. Ain't no attorney. Ain't no attorney. I ain't go to law school. I just took the LSAT and watch a lot of legal shows. No attorney wrote that. No attorney wrote that. That's not even how attorneys write. So this is her second apology. She said, hello, everybody on video. This is Kim Burrell. We see you sitting there. We know who you are, sis. We might not like you, but we know who you are. I'm sorry. I mean it. I mean that. Not from the letter, from my heart. I released the letter two days ago. It did not convey right at all. And I must tell you this. It was from an attorney that asked me to do it. Lies. Lies. Name the attorney. I want to know the attorney that writes like that. You need to be disbarred. If your attorney is writing like that, if your attorney is telling you to put out piss poor statements like that, you need to report your attorney to the bar. That is malpractice. 
whatever retainer, whatever hourly fee you pay to that attorney, get your money back. Your attorney is trash. Said Burrell continued. The latter part, I know it was offensive. It was not my intent for it to be, but it was her wording to say they need to be aware. She said, nah, my friends called me and said, no, there are still people who are hurt from the part of them they love about you. She continued, I'm really, truly sorry. I didn't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't plan on hurting you. And I pray that you will heal from this. I mean, girl, I guess. I feel like she needs a little more dragging before people let her beat up. Because that was some fucked up shit to say. Like, even if you think some horrible shit like that, like, you don't go around saying that shit out loud. Like, I also want to know who her circle is. I'm not saying the circle is guilty of, of thinking the same things that she does. But I was just like... Like, what is your circle like that you say things like this and no one's checked you privately before to be like, yo, that's really a, a fucked up way of thinking. You you might want to reevaluate that. Like, how did you get to the level of comfort that you felt like as as a Christian whose guiding book is the Bible, who prays to Jesus, who spent his life helping and hanging out with the poor? How in your Christianity did you arrive at the point that you thought it was okay to get on a microphone and drag people for not having money? Ma'am, you're a villain. That's some disgusting shit. Last but not least, because folks been acting wild this week, T.D. Jakes. I kind of like T.D. Jakes. I interviewed him once. It was one of my first big interviews when I got to Essence. I saw him at an event that he was attending for Essence. I asked his people if I could interview him after the event. It was a, it was a quick five minutes. And it was it was just quotes about him attending the event and the, and the time that he had. And I think he was honored and just how he felt about being honored. It was throwaway quotes, essentially. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines, like, I'm very... I'm very grateful to be acknowledged by Essence. And then, you know, the quote that everyone has, I grew up with my mother reading Essence and it was always on the coffee table and all of that. But inside journalism speak, he is notorious for when there is an interviewer who is a woman, especially, and it's a phone interview, that he would ask the reporter to send a picture so he could visualize who he's speaking to when he's doing the interview. It was something I never heard men say, but I know a couple women who interviewed him on more than one occasion, and he asked for pictures. And this was like 2008, nine. This is before Instagram or even like really big Facebook, but you couldn't just like Google people and like their pictures would pop up. So he would ask people, or his team at least, would ask people, women, women journalists specifically, if they could send a picture. And after they got the picture, they would determine whether they were going to do the interview or not. He did a sermon recently, and clips from the sermon have been circulating. It was brought to my attention by Unfit Christian. She's been on the podcast before. We like Danielle over here. I'm going to play the clip for you because if I read it to you, it doesn't have the same effect. And if I told you about it, you'd be like, D, T.D. Jakes did not say that. Because T.D. Jakes has good sermons. T.D. Jakes has good sense. T.D. Jakes would never. Would he not? Let's play the clip. Because we are raising up women to be men. Your own car. I know you can buy your own house, but it 
Okay. Okay. I'm not going to waste too much time deconstructing this because I think I talk about these issues on a regular basis. T.D. Jakes, I didn't realize, was was an active participant in America turning into Gilead. Under his eye, blessed be the fruit, may the Lord open and all that shit. I didn't realize he was a participant in that. I thought he was a more evolved leader of the black church. Apparently not. I'm really disappointed in this clip, like super disappointed. There is this war. I don't need to tell you because you, you live, most of you, most of the listeners are women. So you know what this is. But I feel like there's a war on women. Not even I feel like there is a war on women. Roe v. Wade is just, it's just part of the battle. And you can see it every day if you log into the internet and spend any decent amount of time there. This constant degradation of independent women, so-called alpha females, um, women with degrees, women who are single, women who at 25 don't want to marry, don't want to marry 35 and, and 42 year old men. Any, any woman who's not attached to a man is just degraded constantly, constantly. I did not expect T.D. Jakes to be a participant in that. Maybe this is, you know, part of his M.O. He's not one of the ministers that I follow very closely. I don't go to his e-church. I'm not familiar with every sermon. But this threw me for a loop with him because I thought he was different, better, to be quite honest, than this kind of rhetoric. Where do I want to start? I think the fundamental issue with women, corporate women, is what is what T.D. Jakes called them. It's what Kevin Samuels used to call alpha women. Um, before that, it was it was the independent women. There's always a new name. Like every five years or so, there becomes a new name for for women who women who have their own money, women who are perceived not to need a man. Part of the the issue is really up until Generation X, women didn't have the ability to move freely. I mean, we're talking about. Like my mother could get a bank account in her own name. My grandmother couldn't. My mother could buy a house without her father or her husband's signature, but my grandmother couldn't. But we're on like generation two, maybe three of women being able to make really good money and still like less than their male counterparts, right? But enough to survive and even thrive a little bit off of and be able to like move freely and live independently without a male partner who literally was subsidizing, if not paying the whole way for their survival. There's many functions of money. One of them is that it gives you options and choices. My father would say the function of money is to make more money. My father, for many reasons, is a hyper-capitalist. One of the functions of money is to create freedom. And if you are a woman who can survive, even better to, to thrive off of your own paycheck, you move differently. You live differently. You put up with less shit. When your husband acts a whole donkey ass and you need him literally to feed yourself or to house yourself, you look the other way for 50 and 60 years. When you can afford yourself and your kids on your own, it might be hard, but you could do it. You might stay and put up with that shit for a little while. Eventually you get sick of it and you'd be like, this is some bullshit. And you go. Men are rebelling against women not being underfoot anymore. And to a degree, I get it. I have these conversations. I usually don't say this publicly, but I will because of this T.D. Jakes thing. I kind of get it. If for like thousands of years, the way it has always existed is you are a man and you go out and you make enough money, you get a, you get a pretty enough woman who's going to do your bidding, be underfoot. You're going to be the leader of the household. 
I mean, she might give you a little lip every once in a while, but you're, but you're in charge, right? You can't go out in the world and be king, but in a house that you paid for, you could be king of your one bedroom apartment and call it a castle. So this way exists for thousands of years. And in your lifetime, shit changes. Like, why did I get the short end of the stick? Like all these years, men get to rule. They can say what they want. They can do what they want. They can live at least in relationships without a whole lot of consequences. And now these bitches want to make money and leave. Now these bitches want to make money and talk back to me. Now these bitches, I ask them to marry me and they say, no, how dare you, bitch? I kind of get it. You're just like, I did my part. I did what I was supposed to do. What I've always been told as a man to do. Where are my fucking rewards? I get it. I get it. I mean, I'm never going to do that shit. I'm not catering to anybody's ego that way. But I get it. I get how men can be upset about that shit. I do. I do. It's also not lost on me that most of the conversation that I hear, like in the, the general relationship arena, dating arena, scrolling on Instagram or Facebook, most of the conversations that I see about relationships are led by men now. I don't really see women posting all the time about like, these men ain't shit. I mean, it absolutely happens. Like women do tell their stories. But in the same way that I want to say there was a time when it was women complaining about men in relationships. Now it's very much men complaining about women. And women are kind of just like, I mean, okay, like I hear you. Men have a serious issue with women that they can't control. It's frightening. This hatred for women with money. It's, I can't control you bitches. You will up and leave my ass couple things I want to individually address. T.D. Jakes talks very much about women being masculine. And, and to a degree, there's some truth in that. I think women have to be both feminine and masculine. What's associated with masculine, I think is very interesting, is, is the, uh, he talks about, you know, being aggressive and loud and all of those things. And I was like, you know, women don't really like that shit either, right? Like, you understand those traits are, are not desirable in men either. You're calling it masculine. You're attributing to men. This is how men behave. Just as someone who's dated men, been married to one, divorced from one, all of that shit, right? It's it's not the it's not the most fun thing. Like the traits that are considered masculine that you don't like them in women, they're also kind of fucking annoying in men too. They're not very pleasant at all. But I think when 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 men especially talk about women who have this masculine energy, I think you need to ask yourselves why. It's not like women wake up one day and decide, you know what? I want to do it all. I want to be independent. I don't want to rely on anyone. I want to take on all of my problems by myself and and address them. Just me. The result that you're hearing of, of women being masculine, a lot of it is in reaction to men. There's a popular meme that says, you know, your hyper independence is a trauma response. The first time I saw it, I was like, ooh, I didn't log on here to hear you be this loud. I didn't, I didn't come on here to be judged. But it's true. It's true. Anytime you find a woman who's like, I don't need a man and I I could do this and I could do that and I could do this, I could do that. You have a conversation with her. She'll tell you about a long list of men who let her down. And she learned that most men cannot be relied upon. And so she stopped relying on them. And she realized that she wanted to get shit done the right way, the on time way, the efficient way, the way that made sense, the guaranteed to get it happen way was to do it herself or to call one of her girlfriends. Or pay somebody to do it. Call Handy or Taskmaster. Any woman you know. It might be you. If you're hyper-dependent, if you're hyper-independent, you do everything on your own, you don't ask for help, it's because a lot of people in your life have let you down. And you got tired of that feeling of, I, I depended on you, I trusted you, I thought you would do it, and now it's costing me more, either emotionally, financially, whatever, on the back end, because you told me you would, and then you didn't. I waited on you, I depended on you, I trusted you. And you let me down. 
So now I've learned that if I can't depend on nobody else, I can depend on me. I know I'll get it done. You talk about women telling men, I don't need you. If a woman walks, if a woman is walking in a house and telling a man, I don't need you, that man has let her down on multiple occasions. She's pissed. She's pissed at him. She just ain't got the courage to leave yet. Money or no money. She wants that man. She wants to be with that man. She has feelings for that man. She feels a way about that man. But this man has, that man has disappointed her. That's the only reason a woman's going to walk in the house and tell a man, I don't need you. Another thing, another thing, this, this thing men have about, I, I want you to need me, need me. You really want to be wanted. You don't want to be needed. Well, if you're secure, you want to be wanted, not needed. But I wonder if men really fully understand what they're asking when, when they say that. It's like asking someone to keep an open void in their lives that someone else can come around and fill. I don't think they understand how dangerous it is for a woman to be out in the world with some gaping void waiting for some man to fill it. It is a setup to be fucked over and failed. Like, I want you to need me. I want you to need me. I want you to need me. Like, that means there's something that I don't have that I'm walking around waiting for somebody else to provide. It's a setup for fucking failure. Also, the woman who needs you, what you're really wanting is this woman to stay with you. She won't leave you because she needs you. There's something that you have that she can't get. She doesn't think she could do it for herself. She doesn't think she could get it elsewhere. She needs it from you. And so she'll stay. It doesn't mean she loves you. It doesn't mean she respects you. It means she might act like it. She might pretend. She might, you know, she might do the song and dance for you to, you know, stroke your ego and all of those things so that you keep providing what she needs. But does she really like you? Does she really love you? Does she really care about you even a little bit at all? Is she going to show up at the hospital and hold your hand? Maybe, maybe not. She'll do just enough to, for you to keep providing whatever it is that she needs. But the minute you can't, God forbid you fall ill, God forbid you can't feel that need, she's completely fucking out. You want to be with somebody who wants you just because, just because, just because men think they want to be needed. They want to be wanted because if she just wants your ass, if there's just something about you that just does it for her, she'll stay. As long as you can avoid acting like a full ham donkey and you can even do it a couple times. If she really wants you, she'll stay. But need you? Want somebody to walk around with an open fucking void just so you can show up like a fucking superhero and, and, and feel it? want women to walk around insufficient and not at their best because if you need something there's a void right you can't beat 100 percent and still have a void want women to walk around at less than their best just to stroke your fucking ego really nigga (sighs) this was also part of td jake's father's day speech and i was like wait so you spent your father's day speech talking about what women lack this was your father's day speech really it's a big sign in the background that says Father's Day. Really? You couldn't, you couldn't find nothing to say about actual fathers? And maybe that's because that's one of the quickest ways that men bond is dragging women. That's a, that's a quick way to building community is, is talking about how women ain't shit. The other thing I wanted to note about this, the last statistic I read, and maybe it changed in recent years, COVID flipped a lot of things on its head, but it wasn't drastic, I assure you. But the majority of... Churchgoers, 70% of, of people that fill black churches, that tithe in black churches, are women. Black women. 70% of the congregants in, in black churches are black women. I do not understand. I don't, I don't understand how the leaders of churches can get up 
a pulpit or anywhere else. I don't understand how they get up and drag women, especially talking about these corporate women. I was like, you mean the women that make money that, that, that are always contributing to the building fund, the women that make money that are, are buying your books, the women that are, are making money that, that put a new roof on the church. Those women are your problem. Like, how do you drag the people that are literally, literally financially supporting the building you work in? Doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense why women listen to men drag them like this and still and still give them money. I follow um, Reverend Wesley. I once described it on here is the church in Virginia with the, the good pastor and the bad parking. And everybody was like, Alfred Street? Absolutely. Everybody knows about Alfred Street. I, I, followed, uh, I follow Pastor Wesley. And he gives me hope for what the black church could be if, if ministers did their healing. Um, he gets it. He gets it. Um, he's, he's not perfect. And he'll tell you he's not perfect, which I appreciate very much. But when I listen to him, I don't feel like he, he hates his congregants, which I did feel when I was listening to this TD Jakes clips. And I'm like, which I did feel when I was listening to this TD Jakes clip. I'm like, you spent father's day dragging the black women that literally, literally, Put a roof over your head. I just. All right. That's the episode for this week. Allegedly, I'm going to a party tonight where they're honoring D-Nice. I'm excited to go. So I'm going to chop this up. Hopefully it'll be up on Saturday morning. If it's later than that, I apologize. My life is, you know, as I told you at the beginning of the podcast, kind of in shambles. We trying to pull this mofo back together again. I'm trying to pull this mofo back together again and make it make some sense. We'll talk on Tuesday and on Friday and then the Tuesday after that and the Friday after that because who knows when I'm actually getting on this plane to go to Ghana (sighs) pray for me y'all I don't think I've ever asked you to pray for me before pray for me I'm not like on the edge I'm not like on the edge of the ledge or anything like I'm inside the room the window is down the AC is on but I'm like about to walk over the window and peek out like I'm just I need I need a win right now I know selling out a trip was a win, but I was like, I really just want to get on this plane and go to Ghana. The emotional ups and downs of like, I think I'm leaving. No, I'm staying. I think I'm leaving. No, I'm staying. Like, I need to either stay or go. The back and forth. Part of the process. At least that's what I'm telling myself to try to make sense of it. All right. We'll talk again next week. Thank you for your patience with this episode. Yeah. Okay. Bye.